If you turn in your Bibles with me to what may be a shorter Bible study this morning, and I know that people that know me are already laughing when I say this may be a shorter Bible study, um, but it really actually, possibly, probably won't be shorter. And so uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is the passage that you're going to be looking for this morning. And, um, you know, I, I wrestled with this so much so that I, I prepped um, a, a lot later than I normally would uh, because I was really wrestling with this passage and, and whether this is what I need to share this week. But um, you probably noticed when we do our online services, a lot of times I'll um, kind of prep something special for these, these services because we're out of the ordinary. It just seems like a good time to kind of teach topically what's going on and what's been on my heart. And um, when we get back together in church again, we're going to be back in Daniel um, going through our study series through that and much more verse by verse. But as, I, as I've been going through... Um, a really rough couple of weeks, this, this text came to mind, and um, it's a passage that is likely the most famous, um, and if not the most famous, perhaps the most often quoted um, text in the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And while these verses can be difficult to wrestle with, I think that within the text, we're kind of given the key to making our peace with what's being told to us. So like within this text, that's kind of challenging for us to, to read through and be like, okay, this is almost kind of confusing. Like what, what's the perspective of the preacher, the man who's speaking, which many would um, believe is Solomon. I would agree with that. But some have uh, suggested other authors uh, for the book of Ecclesiastes. Either way, whoever wrote it was definitely in a place of feeling kind of jaded, feeling um, burned out by life, had, had given himself to excess and done whatever he wanted, and really had come to the end of his time and look back and said it was all worth nothing. Um, vanity upon vanity, it's all is vanity. And so it's interesting to look at it, um, this text as we, as we read it, we can look at it from his point of view, which is sort of in the negative, but even inside of that, as we look at it from a Christian point of view, from the church's point of view, it can actually be really encouraging what he's saying. And so it's a very unique piece of literature. I encourage you guys to read this. This is part of the poetry section of scripture, um, along with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, we've done a study in our home group before through it, is a fascinating book to study because there's so much in it that pertains to uh, what we struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's very much the struggle with humanity and, and what we experience in our day-to-day -day lives. So before we get to the key to understanding the text that we're going to read this morning, the following is essential for us to recognize regarding this section of scripture and, and indeed our understanding of life, in my opinion, in a broader sense. And this is, this is what's essential for us to get. We must accept the fundamental fact of mortality. We have to accept the fundamental fact of mortality. Clearly stated, we have to come to grips with death in this life. We have to come to grips with the fact that we are all mortal beings. And that, is, that um, we as creatures who live in time, as human beings who live in the, the passage of time, we must respond appropriately to all seasons of life as they come. So we have to come to grips with the fact that we are mortal and we have to come to grips with the fact that we live in time. We can't control that. God has created us to live in time. And that in this time, we have to respond appropriately to all the seasons of life that come. We have to respond appropriately to it. And that's really the operative part of what I'm saying, because I know that, that in general, if we had conversation, if I was to sit down with everyone who's watching right now and had an individual conversation about 
um, understanding what the seasons of life are like. You know, you're like, well, I like winter, so summer's the hard season, or I like summer, so winter's the hard season. Either way, we understand that seasons come and go and seasons change. And as we march through this time that we're bound to in this physical life, we go through seasons that are mountaintop experiences and valleys. We go through warm and cold times. We go through times where we're soaking wet and when we're parched and dry and in a drought. And so we understand that there are things that we go through that we have no control over sometimes. We have no control over the circumstance. Sometimes... Sometimes we have um, an effect or we're, we're experiencing consequence of things that we've done. And Peter talks about that in his letter in 1 Peter. But what's interesting is that lots of times you and I land in these places where we really don't have control over the season that we're in. It's just a season. And, and as, just as much as I can't change how much snow is falling from the sky or I can't change how warm it is outside and the heat in the same way. Um, we can get into these seasons of life that we just have to find a way to deal with. And God has not left us alone to do that. God hasn't left us alone to figure out our way through life without any kind of guidance. And so this is a heavy passage for me to wrestle with this morning. With things that have gone on in the last couple of weeks in my life, this is a very heavy passage for me to wrestle with. And I have to be willing to share with you guys, and so many of you are part of our ministry, whether you watch online or whether you come on Sundays, you're a regular part of this ministry and we see each other and we interact often. I have to be willing to share both my victory when God's given it and from my pain when God has allowed it. It is intended for me to share with you victory and pain. Because if we're to believe this passage of scripture and honestly receive it, then I have to recognize that God is glorified in both victory and pain. That God receives glory when I suffer and when I triumph. Church, this is essential for us. And I would say essential for us, especially as Americanized churchgoers. And as being people who have, with no control of our own, been born into, if you will, an Americanized Christianity or an Americanized churchianity, which is in a lot of ways very different from the church outside of this country, outside of this universe that we live in in America. It's very different in other places. It's not all the same. And there are people who suffer and die for their faith and are willing to do so because they value the gospel that much, whereas we don't like to be discomforted in our faith. We like things to be pandered to us and given to us. I recognize this in myself. It's the reason why a lot of times I try and hide my weaknesses. I try and hide the things I'm struggling with because I don't want you guys to get the wrong impression and leave. But that's inauthentic. That's inauthentic with you. That's inauthentic with believers to look at somebody who's in leadership and say, boy, they've always got together. If you're listening, turn your volume up for a second. Actually, you probably shouldn't because I'm going to say it pretty loud. I don't always have it together. I'm not always together. I struggle often. I weep over things. I, I, I wrestle with things. And people that know me, that have conversation, they know this. They know this. But here's what I want us to do, church. I want us to know each other well enough to where you all have experienced that with me. Not me running up to you and just sobbing on you for no good reason, but, but that we actually know each other well enough to suffer through seasons of life together. I have to recognize, and we have to recognize together, that God is glorified in both victory and pain, and that only God, please hear me, only God can bring ultimate victory from pain. God is glorified in both victory and pain, but only God can 
like as a, as a, just a, a, a the next level of that, bring ultimate victory through and from the pain. If you don't believe me, read the Gospels. Because ultimate victory was won through suffering on behalf of others. Ultimate salvation was won by Jesus on the cross as he suffered in the place of others. And if you don't think that we are not called to the same thing, or that we are called to the same thing, if you don't think that we're called to the same lifestyle as Jesus, you're reading the wrong Bible. You're not reading the text. We are called to live lives that are conformed into the image of Christ. We are to live our lives out and to adopt the same mindset as we read in Philippians 2, the same mindset of Christ. That is to sacrifice ourselves. And if I can move us a little farther down this trail this morning of God receiving glory through our pain, then I will have accomplished what I believe he's called me to do this morning. God receives glory and brings ultimate victory through our struggle, through our pain. He did it in the most ultimate example through his son, through Jesus. And he wants to do it through us too, which is why Jesus said, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. And it's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. You realize that there's a weight to this. It's not all fun and games, although there is some really cool stuff along the way, but there are seasons. And so let's read our text. Let's read the first eight verses, very familiar verses for us if we've read our Bibles. Um, But this is what Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the CSB version. Um, There's lots of great biblical translations. This is my favorite one to use. But if you're ever curious about what Bible I'm reading from, this is the CSB. It's the the Holman translation of the Bible, but um, the Christian Standard um, Bible is what I'm reading from. There is an occasion... Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under the sun or under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. As is typically our, our uh, focus when I, when I teach, I like to break things down verse by verse. I'm going to take more of a broad overview look at this. Uh, certainly this is worth going line upon line for, but that's not what I want to really get across today. Um, what we see here is 14 pairs in eight verses and a list of 28 events, if you will. Events, actions, reactions, emotions, and labors that we as human beings share as the text indicates, on occasion or in their season. Okay, that's on occasion or in their due season. And so I want to say this again, 28 events, actions, reactions, emotions, and labors that we as human beings share. We share these experiences in this life. Even though we're very different, we come from different places, and you know, you may be from the other side of the tracks. For me, 
same, the same emotions, the same situations. We all are going through these general things. And this is why I love this kind of poetry because it really ties us together as human beings. We experiencing, we experience these things in various ways, but they're the same types of things, the same types of events, actions, reactions, emotions, and labors throughout life. We go through these things together in their season, meaning that we as human beings created in the image of God will experience the good that we long to live life within. We will experience the good, the good being the life, love, laughing, dancing, and peaceful times. And there's more, but you're getting the general idea of what he's talking about. As people, we long for those things all the time. All the time. I want to love. I want to, well, I mean, think about it. When was the last time you walked into a gal's kitchen and on the wall it said, die, be broken, and weep? That'd be shocking. You walked into Karen's kitchen and it said, die, be broken, and weep. What does it say? What does it say, people? You can say it with me. Live, laugh, love, right? That's what it says. Well, they're right here in, in Ecclesiastes, but on the other side of that, you have the other side of the coin. You have life, but you have death. You have birth. You have death. You have love. You have hatred. You have all these. There's, we're going to experience the wide variety of these types of things in our lives because these are seasons that we go through. Now, we're not talking about sin necessarily. We're talking about seasons of life that we go through and so we want to live in the good i want there to be life love laughing dancing and peace all the time peace i want it all the time that's what i want right but church we live in a fallen world we live in a fallen, broken world that was our own fault as human beings. And don't blame it on adam and eve if it wasn't them it'd be us we would have done the same thing and, and we as broken human beings live in this fallen world and our lives are scarred by the brokenness and consequence of sin. And so there's going to be seasons that we experience that bring death, that bring brokenness and weeping and mourning and loss and hatred and war. The antithesis of what we look at, the opposite side or the other side of the coin, if you will, is what he's representing here. There, there are going to be seasons, and that's why he says at the beginning, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. There's going to be seasons of life that give us all of these things. The problem is, is that we often want to hide or pretend like the latter list that I gave you there, the list of you know death, brokenness, weeping, mourning, loss, hatred, and war. We want to pretend like that latter list of experiences either won't or will not happen to us. It's not going to happen to us now, and it's not my future. Well, I just can't think about that right now. And, and I don't know about you, but I've had conversations with people where you'd be like, well, you realize that we're going to have to face this someday. I'm like, listen, I can't deal with that right now. Why? Because they want to live in the live, laugh, love. They want to exist in the live, laugh, love side of the world. I like made that all one word. That was pretty cool. Live, laugh, love. But they, they, want to, they want to exist in that sphere. And here's the thing. There's a reason we want to be there. There's a reason we long for that. And that's a whole other sermon about how God has given us this longing to, to um, see a world that was, that's untainted by sin. We long for Eden, if you will. And that's a whole separate thing. There's a reason why we want that to always exist. But what's fascinating to me is how often people would rather live in delusion as if these things are not all going to happen. And there's fear there. And there doesn't have to be fear 
for believers. We often want to hide or pretend like that latter list of experiences either won't or isn't going to happen to us. Like we're not going through it right now even. Sometimes we live in denial. And church, we are not told to pretend like pain doesn't happen. Nowhere in scripture are we told to act in a way that hides what we're going through, to wear a better mask. Jesus did not say, honor your father and mother and thou shalt wear a better mask. That's not anywhere in the Bible. That's not in the commandments. It's not when Jesus, you know, reiterated those commandments. That's not in there. The Bible does not talk about being a better pretender. The Bible talks about being real, being honest, being truthful, and being humble about where we actually are. I tell you, there's no greater experience of humility than being honest about where you actually are right now. So many of us are just building up this pride bubble because we're pretending like nothing's going on. Like we're not struggling. I'm having struggles right now. I'm struggling with the circumstances of my life right now. I'm having a hard time wrestling with things that are happening. And and I have no problem talking to you guys about it. Because I know that within that conversation, we'll have accountability there. And that's what the body desperately needs. The body needs transparency. We are told to engage with the brokenness of our world. We are not told to hide from the seasons. We're told to put on a better jacket when we go outside in the winter. We're told to put on some sunscreen when the sun's scorching hot, so to speak. You're like, I hate, the Bible never tells you to wear sunscreen. I'm not, you get the point. You get the point. And that's why, you guys, Paul didn't stop with rejoice with those who rejoice in Romans 12, 15 to make a really sharp point of it. He didn't say rejoice with those who rejoice and move on. In Romans 12, 15, he followed that up with weep with those who weep. The writer of Hebrews gets a little more hardcore with the idea. If that's not hardcore enough for you, if you like the heavy metal Christianity, Hebrews 13, 3 says this. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Paul, as he describes it in Romans, says you should sit and weep with people who are weeping. The writer of Hebrews says, put yourself in the shoes of people who are being beaten for Christ. Put yourself in the shoes of those who are suffering bodily and being mistreated in prison and in these situations. Put yourself there with them. He's saying you need to associate and share with those sufferings to the point where it's affecting you. Engage with it. Don't pretend like it's not happening. Don't pretend like the people around you aren't hurting. How many of you reached out to someone in the church this week to see if they were doing okay? And continue to message them, not to alleviate our guilt, not to be like, well, if I don't reach out for me, this is my experience for me to go, well, if I don't reach out, I'm a bad pastor. So I have to. That's not what it's about. It's about me recognizing that the heart of Jesus in me wants to reach those who are suffering, wants to share the things that they're going through. We're to seek out those who are suffering and share with them just as Jesus shared in ours when he took on human flesh. He shared that burden with us that's why he called himself son of man the title that he used almost exclusively for himself he did so on purpose to fulfill prophecy and to associate with the with with human beings the human flesh that he took on he wanted to associate with us intimately 
This is what the body and its true realization looks like. We share the seasons of life together because we are connected to one another. When we say the body, we think the church in the spiritual context. Think about it literally, a body interconnected. If I take a hammer to my small finger, and I mean just pancake it, your whole body is going to experience some changes. <laughs> Seriously, you know what I'm talking about. The smallest bit. If you stub your little toe on a cabinet, your entire body is going to react. I mean, when was the last time you stubbed your pinky toe and your pinky toe like, and nothing else was affected? It's ridiculous. Because the last time I stubbed my pinky toe, like, ha! And I went down and I rolled around and everyone's like, what's the matter? They're like, <laughs> you guys, <laughs> it affects us all. When one of us is hurting, when one of us is suffering, it affects us all. Are we connected enough to feel that? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Get connected. And are we not only rejoicing with people who rejoice, but are you showing up to weep with those who weep? Are you crying with those who are broken? Some of you I know are doing this, and some of you are not. And this is me calling you out. Let's engage. Your comfort zone, your personal comfort zone matters zero to God. He is not interested in your comfort zone, and he gives you no excuse to have one. If Jesus had no comfort zone, if Jesus was completely vulnerable, if Jesus laid his life down and prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, he expects us to do it as well as spirit-empowered believers. That's a fact. That's what's on me and that's on you. That's what's on us together. And if we are interconnected at the body, we need to be doing this together, especially in seasons when we recognize that people are really hurting. So what's the point of going through all this? What's the point of the things, the good and the bad? What's the purpose of the seasons? You know, we talk about it a lot, at least in my house. We talk about a lot, we wish it was always summer. I know for you summer haters, that sounds like hell on earth. But for us, warm all the time in a tropical climate, it's very happy. That's very happy for me. So just imagine your favorite season and the season you wish. And some people are like, I like all the seasons. You're crazy. But here, here's the thing. I want to be more like that. I want to see the beauty in all the seasons. But for the most part, I would really just like it to be warm so I'm not uncomfortable all the time. I like to go up and snowboard and come back and be 75 degrees. And I know that some of you are like, Mike, you're crazy. I know that's just me. I know I'm crazy. I just do the whole little baby toe thing in front of you on the internet. This is everywhere. <laughs> My intention is to be both vulnerable and insane, and I think I'm hitting the mark. So, <laughs> you guys, what's the point of all the things that we go through? What's the point of the seasons? Why does God take us through these things? Why does he allow us to endure all this? Well, let's look at verse 9 here in Ecclesiastes 3. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. As is the case with many parts of Ecclesiastes, we could look at this um, as being something that's viewed from a negative point of view. 
In other words, a jaded point of view. What's the point? All that I work for is going to be lost in the end. As, as the preacher will often say, vanity upon vanity, all is vanity. You know, just like there's no reason. What do we have to show for all the work that we put in this world? And if we're going to take this um, as the preacher is Solomon, it makes a lot of sense for a man who had it all. Women, money, power, prestige, wisdom. I mean, he had it all. And when you look at Solomon in that context and you see that he at the end of or towards the end of his life was drawn away from God and worshiping idols and, and his focus didn't become on fulfilling God's calling, became on getting as much as he could in this life. If he can reach this point where he's like, what's the point? I built all this stuff and someone else is going to take it. He, he's not he's not pointing out something inaccurately. He's making a great point. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, which we won't do today, we're not going to get that far. um, At the end, he's really like, I think I came down to like what matters most and it's just serve God and obey him. I think it's just serve God and obey him because that's the only thing that has eternal value. Everything else is going to be taken away. What's the point of all this work? But what's interesting is we can see it from his point of view, the same truth and see it from his point of view and say, what's the point? Or we can see the same truth from God's point of view. Not from man, but from God and see what God says is valuable. See what God values most. He's speaking truth, but when we see it from the perspective as the church should, there's there's not only more to the picture, there's a lot more depth to that picture. It's like getting closer to a painting and seeing that it goes deeper than you actually thought. It's not just the, the surface level. You're looking at depth now. There's a depth to this picture. Look at verse 11 as he explains this a little more. This is the one I really want to focus on. After saying, what do we gain for our struggles? What does the worker gain from his struggles? He says, I've seen the task that God's given to the children of Adam to keep them occupied. That can be seen from the negative or the positive point of view, depending on where you stand with God. Your view of this depends on where you stand relationally with God. But look at verse 11. He, speaking of God, has made everything appropriate in its time. That doesn't mean you're free to sin. That's not what he's talking about. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. It had never occurred to me before that Christians are hybrids. Christians are hybrids. Human beings are hybrids. Christians understand their true true hybrid nature. We are temporal, meaning we're physical, and understand that death is a very real season that we will all experience, and yet we have an inner longing for eternity because God has written eternity on our hearts. Now, I highlight Christians in this because we see it from God's perspective. When you see this from man's perspective, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand without God in the picture. But if we understand from God's point of view, that hybrid idea really starts coming out. I am both aware of my own mortality, as we talked about at the beginning. I'm aware that death awaits me, but I'm also just as aware that eternity is real. That I am not just temporal in the physical sense, I am eternal because I have a soul. And so there's there's more to this picture than what you see from a man's point of view, and yet It's the reason, when we understand this from God's perspective, it's the reason why you and I can never be fully at peace with this life. It's why you'll never be fully at peace with this life. There will always be a longing for it. Now, when I say that, we can know peace in this life because of Jesus. 
but you will never be satisfied in your physical current state body. You are not going to be satisfied with it because you are tied to something sinful. You are tied to something that is flesh and that needs to die, that needs to be restored and raised up again, just as Jesus. And so there's this, this understanding within ourselves. Now, I'm trying not to get too like deeply theological about it because I really think that grabbing hold of the basic concept here is going to be really helpful in our day-to-day things that we go through. You and I will never fully be at peace with this life because we long for immortality, because we long for eternity and we long to live in eternity and we have an eternal soul that's trapped inside of a mortal body. There's a reason why we're not at rest. There's a reason why we're going to go through struggles and why we're going to endure through things because we long for something more. Now that is a horrifying and annoying and upsetting and maddening thing for someone who doesn't know Jesus. But for someone who knows Jesus, we can exist in this mortal body knowing that we must die, knowing that that should Christ not return and take us from this place, that we will die. We will all physically die in that case. We can be okay with that knowing that we have an eternal soul and that he will raise up and restore our body on the day of Christ Jesus. This is like the nucleus of hope within us. This is the nucleus of hope within us, this understanding of our eternality, if you will. This is the key to having joy beyond the physical world. It's the center of that understanding that we are eternal. If we lose sight of that and we focus too much on this world, we only see it through the eyes of human mortality, and that gets depressing. That's when we get down. That's where the depressions, the depression statistics spike and the suicide numbers go up. When people only see, their only hope is in this mortal body. Yeah, that's really depressing, but it's not the truth. The truth is we were created to be eternal. And then in relationship with Jesus, giving our lives to Christ, we are going to see the fulfillment of what we were created to be one day. That is the nucleus of hope within us. Christians, that's what we need to communicate to people. That's where hope comes alive. And that's why Jesus said it really clearly in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world, he said. Jesus said, I've conquered it. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, you're going to have suffering, but it doesn't affect the eternal picture. In fact, it's just making us long for glory that much more. At least it should. The seasons of life are just that. Seasons. They come and they go. Now, in those seasons, we may lose people. We may lose people in those seasons and we'll feel that loss. And that's where we need to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. But we can rejoice in that we recognize that our Savior has saved us from sin and death. But there will be time of lament. There will be times of loss. There will be times of weeping. There's times where it's very inappropriate to rejoice and dance. Where it's very inappropriate. There are times where we need to weep together. Because God created all of these emotions for us. And there are seasons for us to express those things. 
There's even seasons for us to express anger appropriately. There's an underlying hope of eternity and restoration that will come with the return of Jesus. It would be wrong of us to give our lives to excessive mourning and toil, just the same as it would be for us to be excessively in this place of laughter and dancing. There is wrong on both sides for us to try and, you know, we know, I know I've known people in the past that like want to be down. That just becomes part of who they are. Like, I just want to be in the dumps. They feel like they get attention there. You know, like there's, there's, um, just a lot of circumstance in their life. They don't want to come out of that. They want to stay in that darkness. And there's some people that just always want to be happy. I just be happy all the time. If I'm not happy all the time, then something's wrong. That's not true. There are seasons of life where we shouldn't be happy. We should be saddened. We need to take that sadness to Jesus. We need to take that depression to Christ. There are seasons where we're going to be, um, you know, rejoicing and praising and laughing. And we need to do that unto the Lord for his glory. There are seasons where we get to express all of these things. But life requires balance when we recognize the appropriate season. Over and again, I've had this conversation with our young adult group over the last decade because we've been together a long time. I'm sorry, guys. You've been stuck with me for a decade. I apologize. But, but so many of these guys have known eight, nine, ten years. We talk about balance all the time because it takes constant calibration. To remain in balance, if you stand on one foot, your ankle's never in one position. It's making adjustments the whole time because true balance requires calibration constantly. And we recognize that life requires balance when we recognize the appropriateness of seasons, the changes of seasons. And so many are obsessed with every season of life being dancing and laughter. And that certainly wasn't the experience of the writers of the Psalter. What are the Psalms? It's the songbook of the Bible. It's the songbook. It was the songbook of the Hebrew people. It's the songbook of the Bible. I don't know if you've realized this, but there's a lot of songs that we wouldn't want to sing at church on Sunday. Like, maybe one of these days I'll put like a three-chord tune to like a couple of the most awkward songs, and I'll try and sing them for you, and you will laugh, because it's really awkward to sing about, Lord, slay them where they stand. You know, or like, why are you not punishing these people? And like, I mean, there's the, the Psalms are the, the songbook of the Bible. And the reason so is because we'll use David as an example, though he didn't write all of them. Let's just say this of David's life. David experienced the hills and the valleys. He went through times where he was like, yeah, God. Woo! And there are other times he's like, this sucks. It's horrible. I hate this. I'd rather be, you know, think about the prophets. <laughs> think about Elijah. Kill me now. I'm done. Just, it's over. God's like, it's not that bad. Are we like that? It's okay to be like that. Just talk to God about it. He'll set us straight. Elijah is running from God and God's like, send the ravens. He has to eat eventually. I guess we'll, we'll talk to him when he gets there. Feed him again. I know he's being stupid. It's cool. You know, and he finally shows up at the mountain and God's like, why are you here? Elijah's like, duh, duh. Look at all that's going on. God's like, go back. Right? And a lot of times we like, we like to look at God and be like, yeah, whoa, whoa. and that's an actual, you can look it up in the dictionary. It's in there. It's in there. Like, I don't, what do you mean? Do you see what I'm going through? 
Do you see? I'm go. I'm literally. People are watching this. Like he's literally losing it. I think Mike's gonna freak out because I've been on the edge. I've been on the edge of insanity lately. Like I don't know. One more thing. I'm just gonna go crazy. And God's like, "You're fine. My grace is sufficient." Oh, you're feeling weak today. Why don't you just let me do it then? And that's not me going, great, I'm going to go to bed. No, he's like, no, 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 no. I want you to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I'll give you the strength to do that. And then when the next task comes, I'll give you the strength to do that. I'm like, no, 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 Lord. I don't want my daily bread. I want tomorrow's and the next week's bread as well. He says, no, I'm going to give you today's. In fact, I'm going to give you one bite at a time. You know, I'm like E.T., like following the little Reese's pieces around. Like, that's all I get. I get one at a time. And I'll be stuck in Elliot's room forever. very freeing being at home doing this you guys i hope that i'm getting this across the songbook of the bible is the psalms and for those who have read it and meditate on it often it's not all good all the time life is not all good all the time you know for a season that was just what we said hey uh, how are things going for you oh it's all good liar it's not all good it can't be we live in a sinful world We have to live in those seasons. We have to deal with those seasons. Stop pretending. Be real about it. God is faithful in all those seasons. God is good in all those seasons. And not to get out of place, but we're not going to get this far. Do you know why we have to keep perspective correct? Because when I say it's all good, people think that I'm doing really well and I get the glory. But when I say God is faithful, notice this. Verse 14 of chapter 3 says, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. God works so that people will be in awe of him, not us. So stop saying it's all good. Start showing some of those emotions, start dealing with those seasons and exalting and and placing people's eyes on the Lord in the midst of that time so that they can see that he is good so that they will be in awe of him and not us. As John the Baptist would say, he needs to increase and we need to decrease. I don't want people to see that I have it all together. I want people to say, and this is the spirit. My flesh wants people to think that I'm all together. My spirit wants people to look at me and say, if God can use that insane person, he can use anyone. That's the goal. If God can use me, he can use anybody. And that's not just a cliche pastoral saying where it's like, here I am all primped and proper. I almost wish I wasn't wearing a shirt right now when I said it, just because you would realize like, wow, Mike definitely doesn't have it all together. Does that make sense? Because like, I'm asking a camera, just say yes in your living room. Yes, that makes sense. You, you understand what I'm saying though. Like we are so focused on looking like we have it all together and we're not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to show people that God has it all together. That he is the one that we are to be in awe of. There's going to be highs and lows. There's going to be mountaintops and valleys. And you guys... There is a recognition of seasons and God's faithfulness in those seasons. But within that understanding, there's going to be rejoicing and tears. There's going to be rejoicing. There's going to be tears. There's going to be happiness. There's going to be anger. And again, before moving forward, are we sensitive to this not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others? When someone is down, we like to cheer them up. 
Do you ever think about that? What do I go to do for my friend when he's feeling down? My natural tendency is to cheer him up, make him feel better. Why? Because that will make me feel better. That's the truth of it. Wow, Mike, you're so selfish. I know. I know I am. Here's what I need to do. When I go see my friend and he's down, I need to sit there with him. If he's crying, he's broken, I need to cry with him. Now, we don't want them to stay there. And if they're in a place where they're, they're feeling rejected by God, we have to bring truth there. I'm not saying we encourage them like, yeah, you should be depressed. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to turn their eyes to the Lord. But sometimes we just need to sit with them and weep. You know, Job's friends would have been fine if they kept their mouths shut and just sat there and cried with him for a while like they'd started out that way. They got into all kinds of trouble when they started opening their mouths. And we read it before. There's a time to be silent. And there's a time to speak. Sometimes there's a time to cry alongside people, to hurt alongside them. We can't stay in that place forever, but even winter has its purpose. I think you know what I'm getting at. Even winter has its purpose. We should stop trying to skip seasons. Stop trying to skip the season of life that you're in and live in it. Live for Jesus in that season. We're given one more reminder in verse 11 as well. No one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. One more encouragement. No one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Within the construct of eternity, there is built an essential need on our part to have active faith. I'll say that again. Within the construct of eternity, there is built an essential need on our part to have active faith. So when we look at eternity, as we think like eternal beings, because he's put eternity in our hearts, when we look at that, it gives us this absolute necessity of reliance upon him. We have to rely upon him. If we don't, we're going to falter. We're going to fall hard in the seasons, in the things that we go through. We have to rely on him. We are traversing church terrain that only God knows from beginning to end. We are on terrain in dangerous places that only God knows from front to back. And there must be a reliance. Whereas we're captive to time at this moment, God is not. He's not captive to time. He exists outside of it. And so if we can look at God and go, he, he's just bigger. He's just sovereign. He's almighty. Then there has to be a reliance on him in all seasons that we experience. Rejoicing, weeping, dancing, mourning, doesn't matter. Any season. Our faith in him grows through the seasons because he's the only one who knows the beginning from the end. And I want to close with this thought. Recognition of God's eternal existence will give us perspective and encouragement in all those seasons. And Paul wrote a hymn of praise at the end of Romans 11. That's really awesome. He wrote this hymn of praise, and it's like Paul had been going through, you know, chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, talks a lot about God's people, talks a lot about God's faithfulness to his people and to Israel. And, and it's interesting, as, as you get to the end of Romans, Paul just can't contain himself anymore. He just starts worshiping, and he writes this hymn of praise, beginning in verse 33, and it reads this way. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Memorize these verses. Memorize these verses because we need to remember that daily. That it is from, through, and to him that all things have ever existed and will exist. It's for his glory, church. The seasons of life are for his glory. If I can embrace that God's riches and wisdom and knowledge are fathomless, I can weather the difficult and the restful seasons alike. You're like, well, it's not hard to weather the restful seasons. Sometimes that's tough for us because we validate ourselves by doing. Sometimes a restful season feels like we're being invalidated, feels like we're losing our identity. That's an ego problem. And I am the first one to admit that. I validate myself by doing. Restful seasons are really hard for me. Really hard for me. I'm a worker. I love working. I'm a workaholic at heart. And I recognize that God's riches and wisdom and knowledge are so fathomless. They are so bottomless. I can get through the seasons of difficulty and restful times and not lose my identity, not lose my hope, not lose my nucleus, because I recognize that Jesus is the center, that it's all about bringing glory to him. It's Thanksgiving week this next week. This coming Thursday. And I, I'm being specific because someday someone might watch this on YouTube and be like, I wonder when this was. Oh, it's, oh, it's almost Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is this coming Thursday. And some of us uh, may not feel very thankful for the world we live in right now, for things that our family members are going through right now. We may think this really stinks, the stinky time. Um, and it's the wrong perspective. It's the wrong perspective. That's man's perspective to look at this season and say, we have nothing to be thankful for to look back and wish we had things the way they were um, to look at our families and wish that they were a different family on Thanksgiving day. You know what? We can be thankful for the family we have. We can be thankful for the food we have. We can be thankful for the shelter we have. We can be thankful for so many things. Odds are we're just not paying attention to those things. There's so much to be thankful for, for the life that we've been given, even this season that we're in. And I know we're all experiencing, at least in our area, winter together right now, but maybe this has felt more like fall to you or more like spring or summer or whatever. Maybe the season of your life is one of mourning and weeping right now. And you can be thankful there. I can be thankful in my current season because I recognize that God put eternity on my heart. I recognize that things in this life will be difficult, but he is always faithful and I don't have to hide the cracks. I don't have to hide the cracks when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling. I don't have an excuse to sin. I don't have to hide my weakness because his power is made perfect in it. And that's what the Lord told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. I hope that this passage in Ecclesiastes 3 has encouraged us to press on and press on with hearts that are not only submitted, but thankful to God for his salvation through Christ and the many blessings that we take for granted. I hope it ignites a fire in us 
to go and serve other people to bless them in this season. Because there are people that would very much appreciate our help right now. Maybe there's some people that you know that you can just reach out to encourage. Maybe you just have a burden on your heart. You're like, I really want to make them a pie. Make them the pie. Take it to them. Bless people. Ask them how they're doing. Reach out to them. You have no idea how much it blesses me when somebody sends me a message and says, how are you doing? I'm worried about you. Care for each other. I tell you what, you'll be a lot happier than staring at your stuff. And it doesn't mean you're avoiding it or ignoring it. Maybe you need to share what you're going through with that person and they can pray for you and encourage you. May we never take the blessings that are right in front of us for granted. Paul said it well in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Let's practice that for the rest of our lives. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, not the holiday, the attitude and the heart of thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving ought to be a daily celebration for us, no matter what season, because we recognize that God receives the glory so long as we don't take that from him or attempt to. So let's put people's eyes on Jesus. In the valleys or on the hilltops, in the winter or in the summer, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we're going through. We can give glory to God in that season. And when I say it doesn't matter, I'm saying no matter what we're going through, he can be glorified in it with the right heart and attitude. You realize the things you're going through matter to him. And if they matter to the Lord, if they matter to Christ, they should matter to the church. So let's care for one another. Let's engage in the battle. Don't pull back from people who are hurting. Press in. Is it awkward? Yes. Is it necessary? Yes. I, I cannot stand the thought of us being a dysfunctional church in this way. And I will not stop pushing us forward to love on each other and care for each other. Because if we're not, we're misrepresenting the Lord. So let's hold each other to this and hold the line and encourage one another. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Let me pray over your holiday and, and then we'll, uh, I would say, let you guys go. But you're already home. So I'll let you do what it is you need to do today. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our church for Transform Ministries and the churches in our area as well that we fellowship with. God, I pray that you would give these people a blessed Thanksgiving. Lord, this holiday season, this week, may it not be about hitting those deals and those sales on Black Friday, but Lord, help us to walk in a lifestyle and an awareness of how much we have to be thankful for and remind us to tell people, to tell others how thankful we are for them, to encourage one another. God, I pray that we would love on each other as the church. We would love on our families. And Lord, we would use this time of year as just a reminder of how we should live every day with thankfulness pouring out of our hearts. God, inspire us to pray without ceasing for one another. As some are really going through hard seasons, Lord, I, I pray that you would not, I mean, I, maybe it's selfish, but Lord, I pray that, that you would encourage the body to pray for me and my family in this season, in this time. Not to make it about us, but because I recognize there's power there. And Lord, put the people that I need to be praying for in my heart. Lord, there are so many in our body I've been praying for this week. God, I pray that they would be encouraged and built up. 
Thank you for this time in your word this morning. Bless this church, this ministry. Lord, as we gather physically next week, Lord, keep us healthy, keep us safe. Bless us with that fellowship with one another. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.